What's up guys, welcome to another episode of the Dream Chasing 101 podcast. Today we're going to be uh, diving into the world of, you know, something that's a part of everyone's lives and especially if you visit um, coffee stores on, on a regular basis, you've encountered um, a barista. So today we have Winston with us and Winston, if you can kind of just give the people a bit of background to who you are and what you do. Um, yeah, my name is, is Winston Thomas and I... I reckon you have me on the show because I'm I'm the 2020 South African Barista Champion. Um, I'm sure we'll get into what that means throughout the show. Um, but I work as a, a barista trainer and um, coffee consultant based in in Cape Town. Yeah, Winston. Uh, you know, with with the podcast being titled the Dream Chasing Podcast, we like to dive back into when you were a bit younger. Um, and you were kind of thinking about the careers you'd go into. What did you kind of see yourself being um, at a younger age, talking about 15, 16 years old? Um, I guess the, the, the only, the first dream I could think of really was um, sport. So I, I'm, I was, and I still am really into sport. I don't play as often as what I used to, but um, cricket was quite a big thing when I was younger. Um, and I, I only reached the regional level um i played a bit of hockey as well and hockey i reached provincial level but i guess the first dream was to be a cricket player um but then i think as high school went on those dreams quickly shifted towards music um more specifically djing music producing (laughs) and stuff like that um i didn't do much much research but i used to mess around on my pc and like make beats and like my brother would rap and I was DJing. I have uncles that are DJs and stuff. And I guess if there was any dream back then, it was to be in music. Um, I'm I'm 30 years old now. And when I was about 15, I think we had on DSTV, we had like Channel O, MTV and stuff. And I mean, the picture that they painted of music producers over in the States back then was, was very appealing. Um, but I think it was... After high school, I'd taken a gap year to kind of just think about what it is I want to do. And I think only then did I do the necessary research into what the music industry in South Africa is like, like what does the sound engineer do, music producer and stuff, um, and quickly realized that it's, it's not a feasible career. And I don't think it's the, the picture that I had seen on, on television. So that dream quickly died, um, I'd say in 2009. Yeah. And, you know, hearing all these things that you, you're kind of talking about and then looking at what you studied, could you take us maybe, you know, through the, the civil engineering um, qualification that you studied and how did that kind of tie into, you know, that decision? How, you know, how did that come about? Yeah, so that was purely by chance. I, when I, I was at home for about a month after school, I didn't really have a plan um, and I got a job at a clicks. Um, so I live in, I'm from Strand, which is about 40, 45 k's outside of, of Cape Town CBD. Um, and it's probably the smallest clicks in the country. Um, and I worked there for about three months um, as a shop assistant. So just packing shelves and helping customers. And my brother and my father both work in construction. Um, my brother didn't study. My dad had studied for about a year and then went straight into work. Uh, I have an uncle who's based in New Zealand right now who did study and he worked in South Africa for a couple of years before going over. So I guess there's a line of, of construction workers in my family. And um, at the time, the company that my, my brother and my dad worked at, they needed someone in the office to do kind of like administrative IT work. And I had IT as a subject at school and I was pretty handy when it came to PCs. So my dad set up an interview and I got the job. So I ended up working in the office of this construction company. And after a couple of months, they they asked me about my school subjects and what my interests were and what I was looking at for the future. And because I had maths and science, uh, it, it, it suited well for studying engineering. So they made me an offer for bursary. So basically I would study for three years, they would pay for it, and then I'd have to work the three years back for them. And at the time, because I had nothing else happening, it seemed like a a good idea. Uh, My brother and my father both in construction. I remember in high school, we were always told that the country needed teachers and engineers. That's what they told us in high school. So I thought it might be the right direction to go. 
But I think the biggest draw card was the fact that I'd get paid half a salary while I studied. And it wasn't a crazy salary, but for any student to get some sort of passive income was amazing. So, yeah, I found myself enrolling into um, engineering studies at CPUT. And my first year was in at the Cape Town campus, which is literally just a stone throw away from the CBD. But it was also in 2010. So like there was a, there was a lot happening in the city at the time. And for me, it was interesting studying engineering because I like problem solving. Um, I, to a certain extent, like maths and calculations and stuff. And because it was at CPUT, the program is very practically focused. So we got, a, we got to spend a lot of time outside when I would go back to work in the June holidays or at the end of the year, I'd usually go to construction sites. And when I did that in short periods of periods, it was a lot of fun. But I quickly found that in my practical year where I was out working for a full year, that was in 2012. That's when I realized that I think engineering and construction is not exactly what I want to do. And there were things about it that I enjoyed, but when you think about doing this for the rest of your life, like it kind of dawned on me that I don't think I'd last here very long, but just coincidentally at the time, I'd been trying a lot of new things. So I started playing guitar, I started surfing, and that's kind of when, when coffee started as well. So it was very random getting into engineering, but well, I guess not so random to a certain extent because of, of those construction workers in my family. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and and it's also uh, I don't want to say an issue, but it's it's a, a daunting thing for especially younger people. You know, once you you study something, there's always this pressure that you kind of to then go back and try something else. It's almost like being counterproductive. You know, that's the perception that's been put on us, and it's almost like don't do that because now you've just wasted all of this time. So if you can just touch Time on and money exactly. and all these things. Yeah. So if you can touch on, you know, that part of it, especially that, you know, being able to say, listen, this isn't really for me. Um, you, you start trying all these things and then you end up, you know, in a world of coffee. Can you maybe talk about how that transition happened and, and how you managed to, you know, convince yourself that this is, you know, the right thing to do? It's, it's a good question because there was actually a lot of intention behind making the shift. So I, I knew that I was, I was frustrated studying engineering, but also being in construction. And, but I was also aware that there were things and parts of it that I did actually enjoy. And I, in, my, in my room at my desk, I had a, a small whiteboard on the wall. And I think one day... Look, I'm, I'm grateful that I, I went to, I had some kind of tertiary education because I believe I got to know myself a lot better. I think my mind developed really well. I got exposed to different cultures, different people. Um, so tertiary education for me in any shape or form, I think is so essential just to develop young minds. And I know my mind got open because I spent some time at the Cape Town campus and then I moved down to the Belleville campus. But... During my studies, I, like I said, I had this whiteboard and I started writing my interests down on this whiteboard because I was like, you know, I can either go continue down this route or I can try something new, but how do I try something new? And I, I read a, a quote, actually, I watched a video by a guy called Alan Watts and he said something about, um, he would ask his, he would ask his students, you know, like if money weren't a, a an something to worry about, what would you want to do with your life? And he says, most of them said they'd like to be artists, they'd like to teach horse riding and stuff like that. And he said, well, why don't you do that? And most of the responses would be that it's not feasible, you don't make enough money. Um, and he said, you know what, you, you should actually do it. You should do it. You should pursue it and become a master at it. And if you do become a master at it, people will pay you for your skill. And for me, it was quite a profound thing watching that video and getting to see that. And I think that that kind of got me into, into a mindset where I wanted to figure out what it is I enjoy and what I'd want to do for the rest of my life. So I would write down random words on this whiteboard and I had things like Africa, travel, people, rhinos, um, all these words right, written on this. And then at some point, coffee also came up and coffee was there, but... It didn't stand out significantly. It was just another interest of mine. 
And so I think what I became very intentional about was if I don't want to do construction, what am I going to do? But also, why do I want to do this? I put a lot of thought into if I'm going to choose something to do for the rest of my life, it should be something that I'm going to enjoy. But it didn't happen overnight. So I think a lot of stories where people talk about what it is they want to do, it sounds from the outside like they just had this moment and it came to them. For me, it took me a good three, two to three years of trying to figure out what I want to do, but also putting myself out there and trying new things. So I know that I attended a couple of events in the city, which were sort of cultural events. Um, one of them called Open Streets, and it's, it's where they basically close down a street for the day and they just have different um, activations happening. And I joined an organization which was linked to Open Streets, but I didn't really know anyone there. And it's something that I wasn't used to doing, but I think by opening myself up to a different environment, different people, I think through that, I got to know myself a lot better. And I thinking back now, those are the type of things that kind of got my mind on the track of, okay, this is who I am. This is what I enjoy doing. And, you know, now you find yourself in the world of coffee. Was there, you know, like you said, it, it took, you know, a bit of time to make this transition, but was there anything or anyone who inspired you, you know, to kind of, or, you know, someone who provided that inspiration that then assured you, like, this is where I should be? Was there any, any um, you know, influences like that? To be honest, no, there was, there was literally no one that I knew in coffee that, that made me want to work in coffee. So I guess it got to a point where I, I, I had role models and I had people that I, I aspired to be like um, and to, be, to aspire to be as good as. But it's, a, it's a, a gradual story and it was a gradual development where coffee for me was, um, it was re-coffee and then I upgraded to Jacob's and I had three sugars. And at campus, a friend of mine recommended this thing called a chocolate mocha. And, you know, coffee is a very important component of being a student. You know, it gets you through those nights. And at the time, I liked nothing more. I'd have about maybe two cups of Nescafe um, at night after dinner while I study. But then he introduced me to this mocha and this mocha was so delicious. It became a, a Friday afternoon treat where on my way back home, I'd buy myself a mocha, get in the car and kind of drive and sip on the mocha. But then about... Around about 2012, um, there's a local newspaper in Strand and a woman had just moved from, from Johannesburg to Somerset West, which is literally next to Strand. The area is known as the Helderberg. She wrote a letter to the newspaper complaining that there was no good coffee in Somerset West. And um, she had to drive all the way to Stellenbosch to the city to get good coffee. Like, what's wrong with you people? And it, it made me... It's just I asked myself the question like what is good coffee she took the time and the effort to write a letter complaining about coffee I thought I knew what was good and wasn't good and because I'm curious by nature I went on Google and I googled best coffee in Cape Town and then the usual suspects came up and so when I was working in the office um, in my, my practical year for a couple of months I was part of the tender department at the construction company and so I would be the ones driving into the city, um, dropping off tenders and submitting tenders. And I took the opportunity every time I dropped in a tender just to visit a new coffee shop. So I'd take like 20 minutes, visit the coffee shop and I had a little journal where I'd just write about my experience. And I think what that started, it wasn't really showing me what good quality coffee was, but I think the, the idea of coffee and the environment and this like romantic image of what a barista does started to become very appealing to me. So I, I went on Google and I guess this is the closest thing I got to someone who inspired me. I went on to Vimeo and I searched coffee. I just put in coffee. That's all I done. And a whole bunch of videos come up and I'd surf through the videos and watch some of them. To this day, I still have a, a, a saved bookmark and I'm on page 55 in Vimeo. So I'd go to, from page one to two to three to four to five. And I'd spend so much time in the evening uh, watching videos so I'd only start my engineering work at like 10 and um, it was just really well edited well shot videos of these cafes in Europe and in the States and I guess that kind of started this romantic idea of what coffee was for me 
and that that was the draw card for me it's like this art you know uh, but it was only it was a small peek into what coffee really was only until I done a barista course did I then realize like wow this is this is absolutely insane and you know for the people out there can you maybe give a more scientific definition of what a barista is and what they do so the barista is equivalent to to a barman and I'd go as far as to say the equivalent of a chef in a restaurant where it's the person that serves you coffee um, and it seems like a very simple thing and to a certain extent the way some baristas make coffee is a very simple thing you press you grind the coffee you tamp it you press a button the espresso comes out you froth some milk you pop the milk into the cup and there's your flat white but I think for for the ones that take it seriously for the ones that are extremely knowledgeable and for the cafes and roasteries that put a lot more effort into what they do a barista needs to have a technical understanding of equipment, a sensory understanding of flavor, um, a combination of the two to understand how to get coffee to taste the way that it should, and then a level of customer service to be able to serve that coffee and articulate what the customer is supposed to taste. And then the final thing is having a certain level of emotional intelligence to able to understand the customer and not tell them what they should drink, but try and figure out how you can serve them what they want um, by not and by not compromising the quality of the product so you kind of have to guide them on this journey and i'll admit you've kind of got to push them down the rabbit hole you got you got to give them that nudge um but yeah so a barista is a very technical thing being a barista but it differs based on how much emphasis and effort the establishment or cafe actually puts on their coffee and you know it's a it's a funny thing because um for me, you know, like going back maybe five, six years, kind of matric, um, you know, you go to a coffee store and or a coffee shop and you order, you know, a cappuccino or you order whatever, you know, s- s- fancy things on the menu. And you always, you know, you don't even think about the behind the scenes. You, you kind of just assume, okay, it's like one press of the button and then you, you're always preoccupied with something else. So you're not really thinking about it. And then slowly as I went into varsity and you start visiting different places because you need, you know, a different environment. Like you say, that's such an important part when visiting these places. Um, and then I started noticing kind of the, the art. It's almost like, you know, a barista is an artist, you know, when the ones that take it very seriously and it's something, you know, you can see this passion and there's a touch to it. There's a touch element. Yeah, no, so, so good. And uh, it was at uh, Kilani Country Club, a golf course here in Joburg. Um, they had, you know, the normal kind of uh, machine. I don't even know the, the terminology here, but where the guy would then try and, you know, do the whole shapes on the, the top of the, the, the foam and whatnot. And they replaced that with an automated machine where you just press a button and it serves you a cappuccino. And then I saw... You know, this guy wasn't qualified, you know, a qualified barista, but he was attempting and he had this ability and this opportunity to express his art um, through this, you know, this cappuccino that he's making. They took that away and it's almost like I lost that experience. Like it almost tasted worse, even though it probably didn't, but the experience wasn't there anymore. Can you, you know, being a barista and, and kind of coaching this, this skill and teaching the skill, how much of it does it feel like an art form to you? And is it an underappreciated um, art? No, I, I definitely think it, it's, it is unappreciated and it's definitely an art because I think the values that baristas have sort of in modern day society, and I'm going to go as far as to say that, it's, it's unquantifiable in a way because yes, we serve people coffee, but most of the time we're the first person that people see every morning you know and it's it's not just a cup of coffee life i've got some people now that i've they were my customers in 2015 and we're friends now or we're doing business together now i've I've got some foreign customers who when they come back to south africa they still message me and ask me where i am and i've socially now hung out with some of my old customers and that's based on one interaction behind the bar and I think the biggest thing is um, the viewers probably won't see this on um, on a uh, 
on the podcast, but I've got this little, it's a, on your plane ticket, when you board your plane, they tear off and they give you the little piece with your details. Uh, I was working at the V&A waterfront and at the time, Origin Coffee Roasting had a little stand outside of the information center. And one Sunday morning, uh, a elderly couple from Australia just passed by and they, they came to me and asked me where they need to buy tickets for the, the red bus, the tour bus. And I said, just go inside the office, ma'am. Uh, you can buy a ticket there. And they went inside, they came back out and they said, look, they've got 30 minutes to spare. Like they're going to have a coffee. And we chatted for about 30 minutes, just about sport and just life, you know, and worlds apart. Cause I was this 20 something year old barista in Cape town. I'm not sure what they did for a living, but they were in South Africa on holiday. And after 30 minutes, they went to get their ticket and they eventually left. But before they boarded the bus, the woman handed me this and I flipped it over. And um, at the back of the card, there was a name, Anne Andrews. She wrote down Melbourne and she gave me a number. And she said to me, whenever you come to Melbourne, you can come and stay with me. I've got many sons and they'll show you around and they'll, they'll show you a good time. It was so nice to meet you. And I tell you, this is one of about, I don't know, like 10 numbers of foreign people that I've met for about 20 minutes or an hour that have said like, you know, when you come to our country, please come and stay with us. We'll show you around. And I think it shows that it's, of course, it, it's about the product, right? So we've got to serve a good quality product. But it's also about, like I said, that emotional intelligence, that customer service, understanding how to connect with people. And to a certain extent, I think it's also understanding when to back off. So sometimes people don't want to have the long conversation. They just want the product. It's important for a barista to understand that. I think on a surface level, when, when most people think about barista being an artist, they think about latte art. And the latte art that you make on top of the cup, of course, it is part of, it is part of the art form, but it's not the begin all and the end all. And I, it's, it's really inspiring for me when I, I, th I think during the lockdown, it was a guy that I know in Durban and I think the cafe had just opened up, but he hadn't returned to the cafe yet. And I think one of his regular customers uploaded a picture of her daughter was so upset that she came, they finally got to go back to the cafe, but their favorite barista wasn't there. And I mean, he doesn't even make the daughter coffee. He's just there to serve the mom, but he has such a strong connection with her. I think she was literally in tears because he wasn't there. And um, yeah, I think the, the role of the barista is so big. Um, and, and it's hard to define what the type of art form is, but I definitely agree that the role of the barista is very similar to that of an artist. And, you know, making your way through the, the industry, have you, I mean, there's been this kind of trend um, where coffee is seen, it's it's almost a, like a status symbol in a sense, because it, it's almost like this symbol of I'm an adult. And that's like the perception that's being painted, you know what I mean? Like you go on people's social media and I mean, I'm, I do this, I'm not going to say I don't, but you, you post a picture of your, your coffee in the morning from wherever you go, your favorite spot. And it's almost like this this part of the, the South African culture as it is worldwide. But have you noticed this firsthand, like this culture trend that's, you know, building up every year and, you know, the, the coffee shops popping up on every small corner? Is this something that you've seen up close and personal? Well, I, I think there's, there's kind of a divided opinion on that where, I think it's definitely a status symbol. I mean, for someone that's been a barista behind the bar, there's definitely people that go to certain places for the sake of taking a picture to show that they're there, right? So, I mean, I think it's the reason why in certain cases, influencers or whatever we want to call it are used or invited to come into certain spaces, whether that be a coffee bar or a restaurant or a clothing store. Because if their followers see that they're there, their followers are going to want to come. Not necessarily for the product. Hopefully, they, they get accustomed to the product and they start buying it and they fall in love with it. But I guess for the most part, they're just there to show that level of status. But I think on the flip side of that, I think when we talk about coffee culture, I think that's also one of the reasons that there's so many cafes popping up. And I think status aside, I think people just want to be a part of the culture. And I think that culture 
is something that some cafes build extremely well. And so the regulars get to know one another, the customers get to know the baristas, they become interested in the type of coffee they're serving. And then the culture is kind of breeded from the cafe being a social space. So there, there are cafes that you'll find on a corner that look amazing, um, but they're not necessarily serving that purpose. And I think it, it generally doesn't very last, it doesn't last very long because it's all built on hype. Fortunately, in South Africa, I wouldn't say we've got a lot of those type of places, but I think cafes are starting to understand the concept of fostering a culture. And I think that's why so many cafes and roasters are opening. And I think coffee's slowly becoming a bit more accessible. So, so right now, I think it's easily accessible to upper class or middle class, but it's something that isn't accessible to, to the lower, lower to middle class. So look, when we look at it from that perspective, we can definitely say it comes with a level of status because if you can't afford a cup of coffee, that's something that's not accessible to you. But it's, it's slowly starting to change. I think there's a lot of pro projects out there that are making it a bit more accessible. And my hope is that at that point, coffee is not just something that some people can take a photo of and post about and, and have that kind of status. It's something that everyone has access to. Yeah. And, you know, talking about, you know, accessibility, um, going through this, you know, this journey and being in the industry, have you ever thought or is there a thought that one day, you know, potentially you want to have your own place and kind of then inject, you know, the, the energy that you feel and you know will work for a place? Is that something that you kind of aspiring to open one day eventually? Oh, Shannon, that's that's the dream. Like if you are, if if there's if there's anything I could do in coffee right now, like money aside, I just want to be a barista. There's there's nothing that I love more than getting to the space at 6 a.m., um, opening up, setting my machine, tasting my coffee, taking my time, serving customers for seven to 10 to 11 hours at the time I have before, and then closing up shop, washing my hands, locking up and coming back the next day and doing it again. But unfortunately, the barista profession, it gets to a point where you hit the ceiling and if you want to grow and have a family, you have to move beyond that. But I'd, I'd love to open a cafe one day. Right now, I think because of my experiences in coffee and having traveled quite a bit, I think I know exactly, or I know more or less how I would want to do a cafe and the concept and those kind of things. And that's something that I can't do right now. So I'm not in a rush to open it, but let's say if we had this conversation in 10, time, in 10 years time, we might be sitting in my cafe. And, and recording you know, this podcast. But I think, <laughs> Yeah, a 10 years later <laughs> podcast. Um, so yes, no, I'd, I'd definitely like to have my own cafe. Um, I'd like to have my own little space where I can create my own culture, have my own little social space and just get back to fostering relationships in that way. But for now, I think the training and consultation is, is, is what I'm going to stick to for the next couple of years. And, you know, we talk, we, I mean, you talk about, you know, training and, and, you know, your business, but before that you... You know, you're well accomplished in the sector. I mean, you, you've you won uh, SA Barista Championships, I think, three times. Is that correct? Um, yeah, that's right. And you've won Barista of the Year. You've won African Barista of the Year. So how has that been, you know, and, and I'll be one of the first people to admit it, like these are things that go on and you don't really know about it, obviously, just because of the, the scale of the, the, the audience. But... How was it for you personally on that personal level to, you know, be a master? Because this comes back to what you were saying, you know, about that conversation you had is become a master at something and then you can kind of, you know, you can make a living from it. So how did that kind of all transpire and how did, how did you kind of process all of that? So I think um, Malcolm Gladwell in one of his books talks about the 10,000 hour theory yeah. and I think for anyone that does anything, it's, it's applicable. And I think with coffee, I don't think anyone's a master because there's, there's so much, it's always changing, it's always evolving. Um, and so you can rack up as many hours as you'd like. There's always gonna be something new to learn, but I think you need to, I, if anything, you need to level of consistency. And so I worked for a barista for about three years. And for the most part, it was getting up at about 4.45, 
leaving Strand at 5.15, driving into the city, getting to work at 6.15, um, starting shift at 7, and working till cafe closes at 5, cleaning up till 5.30, and then because I wanted to miss traffic, I'd stick around from about 5.30 till 6, and just kind of either help out, just I'd just be there in the space. And then at 6, drive back home to get home at about 6.45, and then do the same thing again, five, six, sometimes seven days a week. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And to be honest, I, I told someone once, like, I don't understand how I'm getting paid to do this thing. Like, I just enjoy it so much. Like, getting paid is just a bonus. But then the place that I worked at, um, Origin Coffee Roasting, they, they have a very strong barista competition culture. So when I started working there, I didn't know much about barista competitions. I just knew having done a barista course there, that this is a good place to learn. Um, they had a lot of coffees on offer. They had a lot of different equipment to work with. So I knew that this is a really well-established place. And if I want to be the best barista I can be, which is all that I thought of at the time, I didn't think about being the best barista in South Africa. This was the perfect place. And um, so Origin had had four previous barista competition winners before I had joined. So, I mean, they were no stranger to competitions and they were no strangers to winning these competitions either. And I think I'd been working there for about a year and a half and my head barista at the time, who had also won the competition in 2012, he kind of, in a way, forced me to join the comp because my first year I said, I'll go next year. And then my second year as a barista at the company, I was going to say the same thing, but he said like, you know what, you're going to continue delaying, just go. So I started working there in 2014 and I think I'd been a barista for just about a year and a couple of months. Um, with the barista competitions, you get a, a regional competition. So you compete in the Western Cape and then the top six from the Western Cape qualifies to go to the national championships. And the same thing happens in KZN, PE and Joburg or, or Gauteng. Um, right now, they've changed it slightly because they've incorporated Bloemfontein as well. But about 20 to 30 baristas will then compete for the national championships. Um, you, there's a first round at the national championships and the top six from the first round qualify for finals. And then they choose a, a winner out of the finalists and the winner goes to compete at the world championships. And so my first year of competition, I think... What Lovejoy done, my head barista, was I think he gave us a very realistic picture of what the competition's about. Like he told us that you go there and six people make the finals, only one person wins. But it's really important to go to this competition and be able to bring something back, right? So whether that be skills, whether that be new relationships, um, if, you, if you're going there simply for the sake of winning, there's a very high chance that you're going to come back disappointed. And of course, everyone wants to win, but I think you need to make sure that the competition is more than that, right? So I think for me, sport is the best reference. Like we play sport because we love the game. Of course, we want to win as well. But I mean, that's why once you can't compete professionally, you still play the sport because it's what you love. Um, so going to the first competition, um, I, I put in a lot of work and I managed to come second, um, which was a big shock to me. But I think... What, what it done for me was it just it gave me a bit of reassurance that I know what I'm doing as a barista. So the format of the barista comp is you need to serve, you have four sensory judges and you need to serve them three different courses. You need to serve them a course of espresso, a course of a milk drink um, and a signature beverage. The signature beverage is, it's kind of like a cocktail, but you're not allowed to add alcohol. So you basically add different ingredients to either highlight the flavors in your coffee or to bring out new flavors. Um, there's also a technical who follows you around and kind of makes sure that you're working consistently and according to certain standards. You have to tell the judges about your coffee, um, give a bit of background to why you used it. You can have some kind of central theme. But the biggest thing is you need to actually tell the judges what they need to taste in the coffee, mm. right? So you need to give them a certain flavor profile and they'll write that down and then they mark you based on the accuracy of those descriptions. So coming second in the, the regional competition, to me, 
it kind of showed me that I knew what I was tasting um, because sensory understanding in coffee is a very hard thing. And if you're tasting coffee on your own and you tell yourself that this coffee tastes sweet and it tastes like, I don't know, milk chocolate, if you're the only one tasting it, you're going to believe that you're tasting that, but you might be completely, you might be completely wrong. So I think what the comp done was just to give me that reassurance that, okay, I'm on the right track, but there was still a lot to learn. Um, and that hard lesson came at the national championships where um, for my signature beverage, I had put everything together in this one vessel. And as I was pouring it out into the four glasses, I got so nervous that by the time I got to the last glass, there was nothing left to pour. Um, so I served it to the judges as is, and one of the judges didn't get anything. And I lost quite a few points because of that. And I didn't make it to the finals of the competition. Um, and it was that was pretty heartbreaking because although I, I went to the first competition telling myself, you know, you need to go to this competition to learn, do whatever you need to do to learn. If you do well, that's great. If you win the competition, even better, but go there just to learn. Um, I quickly had to remind myself of that. And I think what it done was it motivated me to come harder and, and have a better understanding the year after. But what was very significant was Shortly after the finals of the Bristol competition, we had a very small informal competition for what is called an Aeropress. And an Aeropress is, is a, a, a brewing um, method which is used to make coffee, similar to you get a plunger, you get a French press or a mocha pot. And there's a competition dedicated to just making Aeropress. And it was a simple, fun competition, but there was a big prize up for grabs. The prize was a trip to the World Aeropress Championships. And at the time, the World Aeropress Championships happened at the same venue in the same city as the World Barista Championships, which I obviously didn't qualify for. And the Aeropress comp is it's very simple and straightforward. Um, and it's kind of, it's a, it's a more even game than the Barista Championships because even home consumers can come in and compete. Everyone uses the same coffee. And I managed to win this competition and through winning it, I got to join the South African Barista Champion for 2016 and be part of his team. And it also allowed me to go and watch the best baristas in the world compete. So I felt like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Like I, I got the opportunity to see what the standard was like at a world level. Um, and it's like I've never watched a test, test rugby game before. Like I've watched cricket before, but I've only watched provincial rugby and super rugby. And my friends always tell me, like, when you watch a, an international rugby match, the tempo, it's completely different to what you see in other games. And that's kind of what I experienced at the World Championships. And what that done for me was coming back to the South African comp, I think I had a, a big advantage because I had a better understanding of what was required compared to the rest of the competitors. Because generally speaking, it's usually the winner of a competition that gets to experience that. And unless you have the money to travel and go and experience it yourself, you're probably not going to get that opportunity. But yeah, I did. Um, and not only to go and watch an experience, to, but to actually be part of the team as well. And that, that played such a big role. And, you know, you speaking on, you know, kind of the being able to witness that um, level of quality worldwide. When you, when you witnessed that, what was the difference that you kind of took back and you said, listen, I need to improve on this, this and that? Like, what were the, the main factors that you saw and differentiated, you know, from yourself and where you saw, you know, an opportunity to grow? The, the, the basic idea that I formed was like, if the type of preparation that you put in, if it sounds ridiculous, it's probably what you need to do. So with the competition you there's a lot of preparation you need to do backstage but then once you come on the stage you have to transport all of your equipment on this three-tiered trolley and then you get 15 minutes to pack all of your cups and all of your things out and to taste your coffee on stage and kind of get ready for your 15 minute routine and i remember sitting in the crowd and watching the canadian barista champion ben putt i think he came second or third in the world in that year and just the way that he was preparing and it's a very simple thing packing out cups and things it seems very simple but i watched him every step and i i still have all the notes i made at that competition on my iphone um thank you icloud and just seeing him do something so simple but the way that it benefited him, 
benefited in during this set for me was was a, a, a big eye opener but I think one of the biggest things was I got to I, I got a form of reference for world championships so because I was part of Wayne's team I got to taste what coffees at that level should taste and it showed me exactly what the gap was from where they are and where I was at the moment um, I think I also got exposed to 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 different ideas and I, I think uh, South Africa is generally a couple of years behind the rest of the world as far as innovation in coffee goes and I think I got a front seat to what was happening at the forefront of coffee at the time so that advantage was was a bit clear when it came to the way I structured my sets and the small things that I done um, it's very hard to say to give you specific things that I picked up but I think just the understanding of what's required at the world level as far as quality of coffee goes presenting presentation techniques um, and just presenting ideas to judges I think those are things that I took back with me and based on the scores in my 2017 competition ended up making a very big difference and you I mean you you won the 2020 uh, championship as well the South African Barista Championship so congrats on that looking you. back you. at you know the, your first time winning that and now if you have to look at you know the the competition around you has there been a mass massive shift in you know whether it be technique taste you know flavor profiles has there been any you know drastic changes amongst the south african um sphere in the in this in this kind of area yeah so i think the biggest change i've seen is that the quality of coffee that competitors are bringing to the comps and um so coffee's a an interesting thing because there's a level of objectivity when it comes to coffee and a level of subjectivity and I think the subjective part is where things become a bit grey because I can't tell you what you like right so I mean if I bring the world's most expensive coffee that most coffee professionals feel as a very unique flavor profile if it's a bit too acidic and you don't like acidity in coffee you're probably going to say it doesn't taste very good right um but there is a level of objectivity and that usually starts with the quality of the green coffee or the quality of the raw product. So when I say that competitors are bringing better coffees to the competition, I could also say that they're bringing more expensive coffees to the competition. And expensive coffees in a cafe setting, it could go either way. You get some customers that could enjoy it because of its unique flavor profile, but you get some customers that won't enjoy it. I think at a barista competition, because it's mainly coffee professionals that are there tasting the coffee, everyone can agree that expensive coffees are expensive because it tastes really good. And what's happened now is that this year specifically, I've seen a lot more competitors bring in coffee. There's a lot of producers who are doing a lot of experiments in coffee right now. And the more unique your coffee is, the more unique your flavor profile of your coffee is. And the more accurate your flavor descriptors are, the better you'll do in the competition. And I think this year, compared to the last four years, so it's been five years since I first competed, but over those five years, I've only competed in four years. So I competed 2016, 17, 18, and 2020. I took a break last year, um, and I've definitely seen the, the, the type of coffees coming to the competition improve, which is a good thing because I think one of the struggles we've had as a as a South African as South African competitors is the level of coffees we use at our competition is so far from the level that needs to be used at the mm. World Championships, um, and so an African competitors never made the semi-finals of the World Championships, so you get a first round, you get a semi-final round and a final round, and an Africans never made it beyond the first round to the semis, so there's a lot of anticipation. And it's one of the things that has kind of driven me in coffee and in competition specifically is that coffee is a product that's indigenous to Africa, yet Africans are not the ones that are at the forefront yeah. of serving this coffee. Um, African producers produce amazing coffee, but when it comes to um, the barista side of things, we're not exactly at the forefront. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, I mean, we are a global South nation. Um, our economies play a big part. We're not exactly consuming countries like Europe and, and the States, but it's just something that kind of spurred me on, you know, and I, I, I like to think of when the Springboks won the World Cup in 1995, what it done for South Africa and what it done for Africa as a, as a continent. 
I'm thinking that obviously we'd want South Africa to do the best, but I think that any African competitor that makes it beyond that first round is going to have a very big impact. So it's something that I see improving and I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that in the next one, well, fortunately, hopefully it will be me next year, but if not, the next one to three years, an African competitor and South African competitor making it beyond the first round into the semifinals. And I think what that does, it, it gives us an understanding of, of what's required to get that far. Um, so kind of what the World Championships done for me coming back, I understood what to do to get there. But I think what happened to me in 2017 is once I got there, I didn't have a clear understanding of what I need to do to progress at that level. So I think once we have the first person make it through to semis, I think it will become a lot more easier uh, with obviously a lot of hard work put in to progress and, and at some point win the World Ballistic Championships. Does this kind of tie into you know the starting of, of your company and your business? Like the fact that you know you say we the forefront of you know producing coffee on this continent continent but on the barista side we kind of you know a bit behind is this kind of why you've gone into the 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 role of coaching and 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 teaching the skills and providing that qualification as well i think it what i do now is kind of linked to what we spoke earlier what we spoke about earlier which was understanding what it is i enjoy in trying to pursue that so like I said, if I could be a barista for the rest of my life, I'd do that. Yeah. But the next best thing is training. So training is the one role that keeps me close to making coffee. And and I, I like learning. And, and because I'm teaching certain content, I need to make sure that I'm continuously learning and staying up to date with what's happening in the industry. Uh, training also allows me to travel quite a bit as well. And then I think the, the other big thing is I really enjoy development and mentorship so i like to take a lot of baristas under my wing i like to i like showing baristas trying to get baristas to understand that they, there's a pathway to success and everyone's pathway is different but i try and expose myself as much as possible for people to understand how i did it so that they can understand in some way how they can do it but so i after i got back from the 2017 championships I realized that there's a very short window between that competition and the next World Championships. And I saw it as an opportunity where if I could commit all of my time to just practicing for comp, I might have a better shot at doing better at the next World Championships. And the only way to get more time to focus on comp was to quit my job. (laughs) Um, And so the first thing I done when I got back after speaking to the owner was resign and he completely understood because he couldn't give me the time that I needed mm. to to compete so for a couple of months I, I wasn't really working full-time I done a few freelance shifts but I just focused on competition and after I won the 2018 competition thankfully um, because I wasn't working and I had no ties to any specific coffee brands and I had a lot of very expensive competition coffee left I decided that um I should do a trip and I should share this coffee. So through the barista competitions, I managed to meet a lot of different people who owned roasteries and cafes around the country. I got in touch with a couple of people in Durban, Johannesburg and Bloemfontein. And I said, hey, um, let, let me come to your cafe, work there for a day and I'll bring my competition coffee and I'll be a guest barista and we can market it and stuff like that. So I done this crazy one week trip where I went to, to Durban, for two cafes, flew straight to Johannesburg, one cafe, went down, to, took a bus to Bloemfontein, um, came back to Centurion, went back to Joburg, and then flew back within the space of like a week. So it was almost a different cafe every day. And through this, I met, like, I met so many different people. And I, I think I realized that this is what I like to do. I like to meet new people. I like to talk about coffee and teach people. And then after I got back from the World Championships around July, I... I got introduced to um, a hotel group who was looking for someone to do the training for their three hotels. And eventually then as a freelancer, I landed the job of freelancing in training and consulting and building a coffee program for this hotel group. So I, I wrote up training modules, I trained all the staff, I recommended equipment and best practices. And then that's kind of how I went into the direction of training and consultation. 
But then I also understood that there was no standard when it came to ballista training in South Africa. So there's a lot of places you can go to do training, but everyone kind of has their own content and it's not regulated in any way. But there is an international credit program, which is, um, it's called the SCA, which is the Specialty Coffee Association. And they've got head offices in, in Europe and in the US. And if we talk about any kind of quali coffee qualification in the world, that's probably the one that most people would go to. And at the time, there was one company who held a couple of um, licenses for teaching the course in South Africa, but I knew that that's something I'd need to get. And it took me about a year, year and a half to get my license, but I now also teach this accredited course. So I think I, I understood or I had an idea of what I thought the industry was lacking. And for me, that was formal training and education. And I believe that I had the background which would be very resourceful and very mm. beneficial in incorporating into this training and teaching people yeah, how to make coffee. And, you know, for people interested in, in pursuing um, a career as a barista, uh, is it now, I, I mean, it's kind of like the lack of structure. And I had a tattoo artist on the podcast and that episode is up now where she was also talking about there's no real like qualification to become a tattoo artist here in South Africa. You kind of just do, you know, your mentorship or, or your um, internship kind of, you know, that, that role and then you learn and you become a tattoo artist. So for you, was this really important to kind of start building this, you know, the standard, like this is what you need to become a, you know, very good barista? Is that kind of the, 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 the vision you've had in your mind? Yeah, of course. I think that leads to me, it leads to a bigger picture because it justifies why baristas should get paid more, which is a hot topic mm. at the moment, because you'll find some baristas with eight years of working experience, but that eight years consists of just pushing a button and frothing milk and here's frothing milk and doing good latte art. But there's a lot more that a barista needs to know and understand than yeah. just those things. And at the same time, you'd find a barista that's been working for one year and is probably more qualified than that person that's worked for eight years. So I think we, this program has a, a foundation intermediate and professional um, level and module. And if anything, I don't believe that this specific course is the begin all and end all as far as training goes. But I think what the course is making a lot of people realize is that we need a standard. And if this doesn't become our standard, I think what will come of this is perhaps South Africa coming up with its own level of standards. Mm. Um, so I think it's good because it also means that baristas are sharing the same kind of message with customers. So like you can go to four different cafes and, and ask this barista, like what is the difference between a flat white and a cappuccino? Like you might get four different answers and that customer walks, walks home with understanding that this is what I believe it to be because this is what my barista. And then when they go to the next cafe and it's different, it's like, what, becomes such a what do I believe? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, it goes a lot deeper than that when it comes to buying coffee, brewing methods and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of value in training right now, but I think standardized training is something that needs to be um, offered on a larger scale. But I, if I think back to when I was a barista trainer um, working at Origin, I think training has become something that it's a lot more common now and a lot more emphasis has, has been placed in it. So I'm definitely not the only one that has seen this, the significance and, and in some ways the opportunity of training. And I think that it will only grow from strength to strength in the next, in the next few years. And for people, you know, looking to get in touch with you, where can they kind of uh, find your, your business details and, and all of that? Sure. So it's, it's Winston Douglas coffee. Um, and my, my personal Instagram account is also Winston Douglas. Douglas is actually my second name. But I think when I, when I joined Instagram, I'm a very private person and I didn't want people to be able to search and find me. Uh. So instead of Winston Thomas, I made it Winston Douglas. But because I connected with so many coffee people, most of them thought my surname was Douglas. So it kind of stuck. And so when it came to choosing a name for my business, I was like, well, everyone knows me as Winston Douglas. Let's just make it Winston Douglas Coffee. So you can find me on, on LinkedIn, on Facebook and on Instagram at Winston Douglas Coffee. The Winston Douglas Coffee website is under construction and should be done within the next 
four weeks just to be safe. But my email address is also Winston at winstondouglascoffee.com. Um, yeah, they can get in touch with me if they want to have a conversation, have a coffee, let me know. I, I do travel quite a bit. So although my training space is in Cape Town, I'm, I'm going to Pochestrum now in September. Um, I'll probably be in Johannesburg, maybe in November, um, possibly Durban in November as well. So although I'm based in Cape Town, like I, I generally do training all over the country. Yeah. And before I let you go, I have to ask, you know, you spoke on um, the coffee that you used to drink. So coming from Rick Coffee, then you kind of upgraded to Jacob's. Um, what are you currently drinking now? And do you prefer, you know, local, um, you know, more small kind of business, pro- small business produced coffees? Or do you, you know, levitate more towards um, the Jacob's or, you know, those kind of things or Nescafe? So I, I don't, I no longer drink instant coffee simply because it, 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 it kind of, it doesn't satisfy the taste that I want from coffee because I, in a way I've moved beyond that. And I think a similar comparison would be to, I think whiskey is the best thing. And even if you don't drink whiskey, I think you can understand you started a certain brand. Once you kind of move beyond that, it's hard to go back. But as far as coffee brands and, and the type of coffee that I drink, I make sure that I, I drink everything that I can. So as a consultant and as a trainer, when I was a barista, I, I was very single-minded and I made sure that the only coffee I drank was from the best cafes and the most expensive coffees. But now because of what I do, I need to, I need to have a holistic understanding of the industry. And that means tasting coffees in fast food places, tasting coffees in very expensive cafes, trying to get coffees from overseas into the country so I can understand what their standards are. Um, but my go-to is always going to be local independent roasteries um, just to support smaller coffee businesses because generally there's a bit more transparency when buying from small local roasters, understanding that the farmers that produce the coffee also got paid a decent amount. And that's a very important thing. So for the most part, I try to keep it at that. But then, like I said, because of the nature of my work, I also need to understand what the large chains are doing, um, what the restaurants are doing, and so on and so forth. So I try and keep it really diverse for the sake of my palate as well. What would you say for, you know, someone that's looking to move past, you know, the instant coffee um, space? What kind of, or what brand? Is there a brand that, you know, that's kind of resonating with you right now that's making you think, you know, this this is really good stuff that you can recommend that people can taste and kind of use that as a, a platform to kind of go deeper into into the coffee world? So it's, it's going to be hard to pick a specific brand. But what I'd say is if you're buying a bag of coffee and there's a roast date on the coffee. So if, if the roaster that's selling that coffee or the cafe that's selling that coffee is able to tell you when the coffee was roasted, generally the quality has to be of a certain standard because they're very conscious of when it was roasted and mm. when you consume it. I'd say that would always be a brand worth checking out. But I think a, a better answer would be to, if you if at home you're looking to progress, to buy either a plunger or a mocha pot, which are two very simple ways of making coffee. Um, and then when buying the coffee, ask the barista or the roaster what the best way would be to make it in that brewing method. Because I know when I bought the, the new contraptions to make coffee, I had it, but I didn't know how to use it. So the mm. coffee was really bad. And only after a barista explained to me how to make it, did I start getting better results. So I'd say make sure it's, it's freshly roasted coffee from a local roaster that's willing to disclose when the coffee was roasted. And then secondly, get yourself a mocha pot or a plunger, um, even an Aeropress, and, and just play around at home and you'll see your palate will click, quickly develop. And with that, thanks, Winston, for, you know, making some time. The 2020 South Africa Barista Champion. Uh, it was really great chatting and kind of, you know, digging a bit deeper into such a, a hype kind of theme. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to kind of fall into, you know, what you see on social media and the thought that Starbucks is the best coffee out there when it's probably not. <laughs> well, they, they're coming down to Cape Town really soon. So I think... Um, a lot of people in Cape Town will then have access to to the coffee and the brand and be able to make that uh, that um, decision for themselves. Yeah, just get ready for some um, pictures of the Starbucks 
and then the Table Mountain in the background. <laughs> Look, marketing, right? Marketing's important. Marketing's important. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for coming through, Winston. Really appreciate it. And um, I'll be sure to put all your links in, in the description. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Shannon.